Welcome to the Lasallian Way Online, a digital series produced by Christian Brothers University's Center for Digital Instruction in Memphis, Tennessee. In each episode, we focus on topics in online education and approach them from the Lasallian tradition. St. John Baptist de La Salle created a culture of student-centered teaching and learning focused on transforming the whole person. We aspire to follow the Lasallian way online. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of the Lasallian way online. My name is Kyle Purpura and I'm one of the instructional designers at CBU's Christian Brothers University Center for Digital Instruction. And I'm here filling in for Dale Hale this month. And with us today, I have my two colleagues, my fellow instructional designers, Chantal Bryant. Hello, everyone. And Tyler Isbell. Hi, everybody. Good morning. So, Today, we're going to follow up on two previous episodes that we have devoted to the topic of academic integrity and how to promote academic integrity. And at, at our institution, at, at Christian Brothers University, we're, we are a Lasallian uh, institution and concerned ab about topics relating to responsibility, social justice, accessibility. And because of that, I think that and the online program that we run, this notion of promoting academic integrity all across the campus, but especially on our online courses, is really integral to uh, our mission and to where it is that we're going as we further develop our online program. And it may be similar with you, but I think irrespective, whether you're a Lasallian institution or not, chances are if you have an online program, you are probably concerned about promoting academic integrity. So today, Chantal and Tyler are joining me in a discussion about some general ways that we, we might approach our online courses and the design of those online courses to kind of nudge the needle towards promoting a, a greater sense of academic integrity uh, with the students that are in our online courses. So we're going to talk about a, a number of kind of tools uh, and then strategies uh, that are designed towards that end. We're going to start off talking about some tools and let's be, I'll be real honest, we're probably going to blow through these relatively quickly because most of them are easy and are mechanical, but probably spend the majority of our time uh, just talking about some uh, rethinking maybe our assessment strategies or, or some uh, reshaping of those thoughts that we have towards assessment that might then uh, lead to a greater sense of uh, academic integrity and responsibility online. Uh, so, uh, Tyler and Chantal, I'm just going to start throwing some of these mechanical tools out here that are we use Canvas at, at our institution. Uh, but uh, irrespective of whether you use Canvas or not, you know, for our listeners that don't, if you have an LMS, chances are that many of these tools are probably uh, a part of those LMS systems. They're fairly ubiquitous. Um, what about something like 
uh, time limits or shuffling answers or questions. How much can those couple of tools uh, help to promote academic integrity? Yeah, so this is Tyler here. Um, those are two of the things that a lot of online um, professors use to encourage students to really be familiar with their with their their content, um, to let them know in advance, hey, this exam needs to be taken in an hour, an hour and a half. Um, that's going to encourage them to, you know, they're going to be a little less tempted to to go to their textbook or their notes because they know that they don't have a lot of time to be browsing around and looking for those answers. They need to be familiar with the content. And then related to that would also be shuffling your answers or your questions in your exam. Um, there's a really nice feature within Canvas where you can create question banks. So you could have multiple questions that are aligned to a particular learning outcome and have Canvas select from that question bank so that everyone is receiving a slightly different exam, some different questions. And then even within those questions, you know, if they're like a multiple choice question, ABCD for one student is not going to be the same ABCD for that next student. So again, just letting students know that that everyone's taking an exam over the same content over the same amount of time. However, your exams will be different. So um, just discouraging some uh, collaboration that might be students might be tempted to to provide to each other during that exam. Yeah, got it. And I, I, I like the, the word that you chose there, discouraged. Of course, neither of those tools are going to eliminate uh, academic integrity violations, cheating or whatever, but both of them and perhaps used in conjunction with one another, I think certainly can, again, what we're trying to do here, I think is nudge that needle, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think letting students know in advance, not just right before the exam, but maybe even your syllabus, like providing them like this is the format of my exams. These are some of the features of those exams and just be and you can be positive about it. You know, this is to encourage you to to be better prepared for these exams. Make sure you've you've read your read your chapter. You've attended to all of those learning um, instructional activities for that module. And um, and then there's no surprises when those students show up to take those exams. Great. Hey, Chantal, a couple of other tools that are kind of along these lines, like uh, another one that is fairly ubiquitous among uh, learning management systems or another two, allowing multiple attempts or dropping the lowest, you know, one or two or three scores. What do you what, do you, what are your thoughts about those kind of tools? Yes, um, allowing multiple attempts, that's something that I really um, appreciate. Um, the option to have, and we do have that option in Canvas. You can, when you're setting your, uh, for example, a quiz up, then you can you can check that uh, option. And then this just allows the students, let's say you um, allow them to take a quiz more than one time, they may not score as high as they would like, um, or they might miss an answer the first time and they'd like to go back and take it again. So this just allows them to go back in, take that, take that quiz again. And I really love that option because I feel like it helped with the learning process because more than likely you're going to go and look that up, learn a little more. You realize where you had a weak spot. Now you're going to go back in, take the quiz again, and you you more than likely will do better the next time. Um, and, and they can just do that until they get to the score that they'd like. And, and then 
Canvas will just count the highest score. Mm -hmm. um, and so I really love that option. And then it also leads into dropping the lowest. And sometimes you can drop the lowest quiz. You might use this on an assignment, drop the lowest assignment. It also fits in with maybe skipping or missing an assignment or a discussion board. Sometimes, you know, a week will get very busy or a topic may not be um, within someone's, uh, the highest choice uh, on their interest. So then if you say, hey, we have, you know, five discussions throughout this 16 weeks, you can choose to drop one um, or missed one. Um, or if you have, you know, done all five discussions or five quizzes, we'll drop the lowest score. And that just, I really just feel like it relieves some of, of the pressure on um, scoring and grading for students, you know, that they feel like they have to meet the mark every single time, a very high mark, you know, and sometimes it can be very worrisome if you score a little low on something, you know, and you didn't do your best, but to know that that one's going to be dropped off just kind of relieves a little pressure. Mm hmm. Yeah, I, I, I love those those two ideas. And I think it, I guess to back up a little bit, we would really encourage faculty to ahead of time to tag or categorize the different types of assessments that they use in their courses, whether they give them different weights, you can you can or can't, but at least to tag them accordingly. And then, and then if those types of questions have those tags, then as you say, it's really easy then then just to say, if all my mm -hmm. discussions are tagged accordingly, I want you to, I want to drop the lowest one. I want to drop the lowest two assignments and then so on. Yes, absolutely. Tyler, what, some other, some other features and maybe getting, drilling down a little bit more, maybe getting a little bit more serious. Uh, things like, uh, and I know that this is a Canvas tool, these two are Canvas tools, like showing one question at a time and locking questions after uh, a student answers. How do how do those factor in? Yeah. So, you know, while I just previously talked about shuffling questions, um, kind of the to tighten the the belt a little bit further would be to only show one question at a time. So, if students are receiving the same questions or in a different order or slightly different questions in different orders, one at a time means that the student has to answer one question and click next before they will be presented the next question. Mm -hmm. So their screen will only have one question at a time on it. Um, and then you can or can't, depending on your choice, you can actually lock it so that once they move on to that next question, they're not allowed to go back and choose a different answer for the question that's already mm -hmm. been answered. And so, you know, if you are wanting to make sure, again, to make, that students aren't collaborating. They're not, oh, my number 13 is your number 42 and and kind of matching those up and being able to help each other out on those on those questions. You could do one question at a time and then lock it down so that, you know, once they've submitted that question, they're not going to be able to go back and and answer that question. I would say, however, you want to be very careful using this tool because it can be very frustrating. I'm sure everyone has had that time or you were taking an exam and it just took a moment. You just, you're, you kind of had a, let's use a, a very technical turn, a brain fart, right? And, <laughs> you know, like, oh my gosh, I can't remember. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I can see the page that it was on and then you move on to three or four questions down and then it, it clicks, right? And I'm like, oh, of course uh. it was this. And then you go back and you mm -hmm. choose the, rec the correct answer. Well, that's not going to be an option. Yeah. 
if you're locking things down. And so, yeah. and, and I think something that we'll be talking about here shortly will be um, anytime you lock things down, you're going to make the, the stress level of that exam is going to begin to increase. So it's going to put more pressure on that student to perform at that given moment. Because once I hit next, I'm not going to be able to come back to this. So, um, so just be very careful. If you know that, that you're asking a lot of related questions in a row that are related to one another, um, I would I would say then let's not lock it down because you don't you don't want to have students um, not giving them the opportunity to, to to use the knowledge from another question to 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 be able to do well on that, that previous question. Mm -hmm. I think one other tool that I want to talk about before we kind of shift into uh, uh, even more serious tools and then kind of shift into a different tack altogether is uh, limiting the availability window. And it, like Tyler earlier, you talked about time limits, and I guess that this would be a type of time limit. So uh, this would be uh, a tool where you would uh, be able to set the date and time that a quiz can be accessed, uh, opened, and then uh, shut, shut that down. You're lowering that access threshold to a certain time period to kind of reduce the likelihood of of collaboration which is fine and will work i think that the on the other hand you also have to understand and tyler you kind of alluded to this earlier the kind of the negative consequence of that could very well be that uh if you have a student that has missed that that um assessment altogether and then what you end up having to do is either open up the window depending on the tool that you're using, or you have to actually create another instance for the student to, to have that examination. I, I think in total, like none, none of these tools that we've been talking about thus far are foolproof and none of them are without, uh, uh, some, some drawbacks. Um, let's, let's shift into, uh, talking about uh, what we would call third-party software, which is a much more serious thing. Uh, Tyler, you've had a lot of, of at, at our institution, you've had a lot of experience working with a third-party software that some faculty have used to mitigate academic, academic integrity uh, violations. Can you talk to us a little bit about what kind of what they do and and some of the things that they can accomplish and then some of the the, the drawbacks? Yeah, absolutely. So we use Respondus, and there are actually different layers, different levels that you can use this particular tool. At the basic level, Respondus is a lockdown browser. So it's going to place the student's computer into a, a testing environment, a lockdown environment, where they're only able to access the exam. They're not able to open Google, a browser, any other window. Unless, um, you know, if there's a, a tool or a website that needs to be whitelisted, that's the the professor can do that. So if there's some resources that the students need to take the exam, that's that's possible. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, the, they're going to lock it down so that once that exam is opened, they are not able to move on to anything else mm -hmm. until they've actually completed that exam. And then kind of the next tier layer would be where the webcam on the student's device is actually activated and will record the student during that exam itself. Now there are other there are other tools out there that they actually have live proctoring or there's 
some different um, AI components of that tool that that kind of helps the faculty member know like this is what's happening during the exam. This particular product that we use doesn't do that. So it's going to be um, there may be if there's some strange something strange happens during that exam, there may be a, a like an alert that's raised to the professor to check the, the recording. But for the most part, the recording is going to be the responsibility of that. Um, professor to to review and make sure everything's in in mm -hmm. place. A, a newer feature that's been rolled out in the past year has been the ability to actually use uh, synchronous meeting tools such as WebEx or Teams to for the faculty member or a um, grad assistant to actually um, be in a meeting with the students taking the exam. So the student is able to be in WebEx go into the exam, into the lockdown browser. And so they're being live proctored by their own um, professor or grad assistant. So mm -hmm. um, there are definitely some challenges to using this particular tool. Like Chromebooks are kind of discouraged to be used. They don't work very well. Um, they used to, they didn't work at all. I think there is some limited uh, capability now to use a Chromebook. iPads have to be um, enabled by the professor or they will not work for a lockdown environment. And I guess the biggest thing to remember is to make sure that you know the tool well before you try to use it in an assessment. Uh, here at CBU, we actually have a training course that um, people go through and um, we not just talk about the technical pieces, but also, you know, working with students, letting them know at the beginning of the of the term, hey, you're going to need a computer that has a web has a webcam if you're going to be using the webcam capabilities, letting mm -hmm. them know that they'll be using Respondus and several weeks before the exam, um, having a practice test where you go through the, all those components. And so if there are any technical issues or problems or if the students need to find a device, you have plenty of time to kind of troubleshoot, get that all straightened out. And yes. so, so when it's test time, you're only stressing about the test and not about the lockdown browser and the webcams and all mm -hmm. those sorts of things as well. Yeah, and you, you use the word weeks, right? So the, there has to be quite a lot of intentionality with respect to using third-party proctoring software. And I guess even further than the practice test is, uh, and I think both of you mentioned to it earlier, is a, a communication piece that has to exist uh, between faculty and students, probably at the very beginning of the course, that uh, this is the way that the testing environment is is going to work in this particular course, and these are the requirements that we have of you. These are the times that you'll be uh, have a, have a practice. You have to do it, <clears throat> and so forth. So, correct me if I'm wrong, but there has to be a real great sense of intentionality here with these kinds of tools. No, absolutely. I think that's so true. I mean. Just I would say as much as you, you know, you put your textbook in your syllabus because that expectation is on day one, the student knows what materials are required of them. And if they have to have a device that can use your respondents lockdown browser, um, I think it's only fair that they know at the very, very beginning of course, you, you, do, you know, they, they can't be even two weeks out from an exam and realize that they don't have an ex have a device available to them to take your test. Mm -hmm. So let me, I'm, I'm going to switch gears here a little bit and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to 
uh, segue over to Chantal here for a minute. Uh, Chantal, by the way, uh, for those listeners that that don't necessarily know, she is finishing her PhD dissertation, and she is among the people of our uh, members of our team is the most recent in terms of having worn a student hat. Um, and so oftentimes <laughs> yeah. we 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 pick on Chantal to say like, is this really happening in our classrooms? And then, you know, she tells us about our experience. Chantal, what are your experiences, your recent experiences as a student with these types of assessments? I mean, have you run into any of these uh, that your professors have used? I have. Actually, um, while Tyler was talking about the, the lockdown browser, it just took me right back. I took a I took a class for fun. <laughs> Um, just recently uh, at, at our CBU campus, I took a French course and we needed to uh, take a placement test first. And so I, I was able to go through the Respondus um, lockdown browser process as a student. And, you know, it did give me a little bit of the jitters at first. <laughs> <laughs> but but then I just I realized, you know, it, it wasn't too bad. It really wasn't. I was able to take my uh, my placement exam and, and it was really was painless. But it was my first time actually using software like that as a student. And so some some initial jitters, but it really it was no problem. And there were lots of um instructions laid out prior to logging into the test, um, just even to get ready for it. Like you said, um, you know, they gave us a lot of information, things to check on our our um, software and hardware, our machines and things like that. So when I went in, I felt, I felt like I was ready. That's great information. So you had a, a fairly good experience, but you were going to say, you were going to say something else. Definitely no, no, just definitely that that they did a great job preparing me because I had never experienced it before um, as a student. And so I, I do feel like the department, the language department prepared me to take that test. And so the jitters kind of went away after I got in. Mm. Critical for that, like uh, beforehand communication that, that we've been talking about. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, one other that I experienced, um, you know, I really, I really appreciated allowing multiple attempts. And I know I already spoke on that before, but as a student, uh, I really appreciated that one because it did show me where I was missing parts of the curriculum that we were supposed to be learning. And, you know, we've said this before that learning is an active participation it's something you have to actively do you can't yeah, it's sit not back a spectator and be a pass- sport. not at all it's not a spectator sport at all and so when I'm taking quizzes or uh, things like that and and um, I see something that I have not um, gotten correct and um, you know maybe I didn't get the highest score then I'm really looking at that and I'll go and study it again before I try to take the test again. And um, because I know that that life doesn't end at this test and whatever it is I'm working on, I'm I'm taking that information to use in my real life. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. that's one reason why I really love the um, allowing multiple attempts. Let's use that as kind of a segue into rethinking assessment. And I, I and I'll I'll speak from personal experience on the on the faculty side of it. I know when when I first started teaching, and I know I've said this to my, I, I think I've said it on air, but certainly to my colleagues before, I want to go back to my early classes and really apologize to every student about how I was as a faculty member. 
um, real hardcore and real sort of high pressure and high stakes <laughs> assessments and, you know, like a hundred, hundred question multi-choice and then followed by three essays, you know, that kind of, that kind of thing. And that's how I started right. my, my teaching career. And over time, I think it, it dawned on me that first of all, I probably wasn't assessing the things that I thought that I was assessing. And that, that secondly, I was probably artificially uh, I was creating a lot of artificial stress. And I think that like Chantal, with respect to multiple, multiple choice and multi attempts, one of the things that, that I did is I took one of my uh, student uh, learning outcomes, which was, and I, I taught econ, uh, which uh, was uh, that students need to be able to use and apply economic terminology correctly and appropriately. That was one of the big mm -hmm. goals. Mm -hmm. for our program. And so I had a lot, you know, I used to like test, test that, you know, and, and, but only have a few, you know, a handful of high stakes tests. And what I did is I took a bunch of those multi-choice tests that I had accrued over the years. And I, uh, I included a lot more of them throughout the course. And then I also let students take them multiple times. Mm -hmm. which uh, in, in my experience lowered the stakes of each individual assessment, but then also really turned down the stress overall of students taking these types of assessments. And I think I got to be real honest, I had much better um, success with students achieving that outcome uh, after I moved to that assessment strategy than I had experienced beforehand. So I think that like there's in my experience, Chantal and, and Tyler, I'll throw this open to you as well, but lowering the stakes and then um, lowering the temperature, the stress temperature on exams really worked for me as a faculty member. Absolutely. I, you know, there's a lot of things to really think about here. Um, the first of all would just be from a really from a theoretical educational process of understanding, you know, assessment for learning instead of assessment of learning. You know, sometimes you have those big summative, you know, this is the end, your final at the end. We need to make sure that you have really mastered this material. But then there's there's times throughout the the course where hopefully you're also assessing students, um, I think Chantal said it earlier, you know, letting you know, like, hey, I understand what I know and I understand what I need to know so that I can get better by towards as I progress through my course here. And yeah. so, you know, multiple opportunities to to take an exam and it be low stakes gives you the opportunity to do that. You know, secondly would be just the brain science behind it. Mm -hmm. When you when you have all of these stressors going on it makes it very difficult when you're it's hard to it's hard to take an exam and do well when you are in that fight or flight mode like um yeah being able to being able to okay this is this is an opportunity for me to really know how much i know and and to underline the parts that i need to study further um and it's not going to kill my grade helps students really be able to do that to take the opportunity to do that. And, um, you know, brain science says, you know, there's a, those opportunities to, to test your knowledge and check your understanding and frequently just kind of 
kind of recall some of those important information that important information from that course is going to help them overall master that content mm-hmm. and um just all, those opportunities are going to be more beneficial and really move you towards your goal of students mastering your content than just a few really high stakes exams that they don't have um, opportunities to do that. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. And, I, I, you know, it, for people that are interested, our listeners, uh, the the concept surrounding what, what Tyler's talking about and what Chantal alluded to earlier with respect to allowing multiple tents collectively is called the testing effect. And the, just this idea that frequent low stakes assessments uh, help students better master content than mm-hmm. than any other strategy. And, I, you know, it has real merit. And the the uh, the uh, literature on the testing effect goes back decades and decades. So I think that, you know, Tyler, when you mentioned brain science indicating this, it's it's a clear indication. Yes. And, uh, you know, I think that it also fits in. Um, you all are talking about, you know, frequent low stakes testing throughout and um, so having more formative um, assessments throughout the course, and that kind of fits in with spreading out your category weights. Um, you know, I, I even as a student, when I open a syllabus and I see that automatically like uh, 50% of my grade is coming from one final assessment, oh, the nerves are up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I am, you know, and that makes it very difficult to work on the other assignments throughout the course because I'm so worried about what is coming, you know? So kind of spreading things out, if you're spreading out different assessment types throughout your course and, you know, spreading out the weights on the categories, it really, I feel like it helps, it helps the professor with grading and things like that. It helps the student with stress management and, and content, um, management, learning their content and participation throughout, you know, I just think it can be a win-win situation. Uh, I agree. And, and let's be honest with respect to promoting more academic integrity, we're looking for these win-wins. Yes. Yes, definitely. Let's, let's shift focus a little bit and, and maybe think a little bit outside of the box. I want to, I want to now kind of delve into two areas. One of them being authentic assessments and the other one being kind of uh, short, synchronous one-on-one meetings, which are both kind of outside of the box, uh, I think, in terms of traditional assessments, uh, way of, of looking at um, giving students the opportunity to demonstrate what it, what it is that they know. So Tyler, can you talk to us a little bit about, like what what is the notion behind authentic assessments and maybe this project-based learning or PBL? Yeah, absolutely. So we know ultimately our goal is for our students to be becoming masters of our content area. And I like to say, um, you know, ultimately we don't want just great engineering students or great science students or English students. Like we want great engineers and scientists and um, and so it's important for them to understand not how to do well on an exam, but how to truly understand what they're trying to learn in your course. And so finding ways that students can create or synthesize 
research and present information in a way that the, that an expert in the field would do that sort of work really gives them an opportunity to demonstrate to you, to your class, and maybe even to an, an audience, whether it be peers here at your institution or or even from your community, um, it's gonna it's gonna help multiple reasons. First of all, if we're 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 still talking about academic integrity, it's very difficult, very very difficult to to cheat that all the way through, right? Like, yeah. If I if I have to um, if I have to design something, and then I have to come up with a prototype, and I have to present it to an audience of people include a Q&A session with some experts in the field like you know it's gonna be really hard to kind of make that up on the fly or copy that from someone on the internet yep and so yeah. for for the in integrity side that's that's really going to take care of that the the other flip side the other huge thing is going to be engagement right like students are going to ask aren't really going to wonder why are we having to do this because they're actually operating as an expert in their field and so if they're designing something or building something, researching like an expert, then they don't have to question like, is this really something that I want to know or do? And when students can really see the why they're doing something and they can see that it's not just about, get, I mean, it. we know short term, like they need the, the grade for the class. They need that class so they can get the degree. Like those are those are important. But ultimately, hopefully those are just short-term goals for these students. And ultimately, it's because they want to be excellent in their field of study so that they can be experts in whatever they're they're learning about. And so um, the long-term goal would be, hey, I'm, I'm operating like an engineer, like a scientist, so that when I'm doing those things, I've actually had practice in doing those. That's an authentic learning experience, right? And I think that it just remedies a lot of those engagement, uh, academic integrity issues that sometimes we face in our online course. Um, Definitely. I, and I just and I just want to say, like, the the really great thing is, like, if you if I take PBL for exist for example, if if there's a a product that they're developing, well, within that project that they're building in, you can you can still use those other assessment tools that we've talked about. You can do the the low stakes frequent quizzes to make sure that they're still learning the material like they would in a more traditional classroom. But the big the big final at the end would be your authentic piece. So um, it just gives you an opportunity to try multiple multiple things within your class so that um, you can keep engagement up, keep authentic authenticity up but still have opportunities for students to to know where they're at as they progress through your class. Tyler, I love that uh, because it it sounds very much like if I, as a faculty member, want to rethink my assessment, what you're indicating is I don't, I shouldn't feel like I need to throw the baby out with the bathwater, that all the work that I've done in in building assessments, maybe I've got years and years of teaching underneath my belt. I don't have to throw that away. I may want to rethink the the final, like the 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 pinnacle assessment piece of my course. But the rest of those assessment artifacts that I've created and utilized over the years, I just need to sort of reframe them, but continue to use them. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And I always, I always tell uh, professors, I mean, you're an expert in the field, like in there, there are things that you love and there's things that you, you know, have worked very well in your class in the past. And so you don't have to stop doing all that. Please don't stop doing all those things. You know what people have enjoyed and what, and what has worked really well. Just, just take pieces and parts that you're like, eh, I'm not quite sure about and try something new. And, and hopefully at the end, you'll have just another thing you could say people have loved about your class. And kind of building on that, you know, some something, at least in my experience, uh, I have enjoyed having one-on-one chats with my with my students. And some of them in the feedback that I get after the semester is over, likewise, say that they have appreciated those. Chantal, uh, you you suggest that we may want to build these kinds of discussions into our assessment? Yes, um, actually, many of our instructors have started doing this, having short synchronous sessions, or you can call it a mini conference. Um, It may be, you know, 10 or 15 minutes with a student one on one, and they have reported um, wonderful results. Uh, It gives a moment, especially if the class is fully online, you know, um, then then it gives a moment for the the instructor and the student, uh, the learner to just build relationship with each other, see the face of the person who's sending you all these emails and, you know, things like that. And um, we just were thinking about it more and saying that, you know, this is a great opportunity to add even more intention to those sessions. Um, you can use this as as a as an assessment if you need to. Um, for for example, if you are working on some type of process um, in your content, and um, just ask your students to explain this particular confer- uh, process. You know, face to face video. I think you guys just mentioned that a second ago with the PBL. Um, it's like like a old school report, you're standing up and giving a speech, (laughs) you know? And so uh, it's kind of hard to cheat when you're talking to, you know, you're giving your speech right now in front of your professor, you know, and it doesn't need to be long. It can, it can be short, you know, but um, it still checks a lot of boxes there and, and helps us with this whole idea of cheating. There's something very powerful and compelling about when I think about having a one-on-one discussion with, uh, you know, every one of my students. Obviously, I, I, if I had a class of 120, this would be problematic, but most of us don't. You know, where the discussion just centers around, like, tell me how it's going. Tell me what you've learned thus far and tell me, you know, mm-hmm. what are some what are some areas that, 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 you know, you're still a little curious about? Absolutely. Um, I actually was able to experience this with uh, the, the class that I took uh, on campus and it it really it really helped me because the professor was able to ask me specifically, you know, what types of things would you like, you know, to learn more about or how are you feeling about the assignments and things um, that have been posted so far? And I was able to give my feedback. It made me feel more important as a student. Mm-hmm. And I was able to share the goals that I had for myself in taking the class. And the professor really made me feel like that was important to him and gave me tons of resources that I was, that weren't in, uh, that weren't attached to the course, you know, but they were more resource, resources, additional resources. I know sometimes we'll build those out in our courses and say, Hey, if you would like additional resources, go here, yeah. you know, and, and that was, that was, uh, 
he was able to do that just for me. And and it was like, oh, great. <laughs> you know, I'm really excited about it. Well, so th- th- I mean, that's exciting, right? Because that because uh so that assessment strategy is building agency. It's 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 building your efficacy as as you see mm-hmm. yourself as a student. It's building confidence. Um, it's also personalizing the learning experience for you. Like that that sounds like you said it earlier. That this really ticks a lot a lot of boxes potentially. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, we've had a lively discussion about like different tools and different strategies that you could uh, throw at uh, the design of your course when you're thinking about uh, intentionally uh, figuring, configuring, or refiguring your assessment strategies. And um, we hope that this has been a worthwhile discussion uh, for you, and maybe you've you've had a couple of key takeaways. And so, uh, on behalf of my colleague Chantal. Uh, Tyler, and then the rest of the team at the Center for Digital Instruction. We want to thank you for giving us your time and tuning in, and we hope that we will uh, see you again, or you'll hear us again soon in our next installment of the LaSallian Way Online.